6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Philemon. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to explore your word. We pray, Father, that you would attend us with your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and lives to what you have here for us. We just thank you for your word and for the gift of your Son and for the gift of the Holy Spirit in these occasions as we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our little excursion, review of the uh, pastoral epistles, as they're called. We've been through uh, the letters to both, uh, both letters to uh, Timothy and uh, Titus. And we have this last little letter that's included in this collection called Epistle to Philemon, a short personal letter that has many interesting lessons for each of us. Now, this is a strictly private letter, which has been preserved, fortunately, but the greetings at the beginning and the end imply that it was intended, ultimately, for public hearing. It's a very model of tact and courtesy. Paul makes a pitch to Philemon that's very carefully, very skillfully designed. But nevertheless makes it clear that Paul expects Philemon to do even more than he asks. The tone of this, he's, he's expecting Philemon to overreact, do more than he's asking for. So I want you to notice Paul's craftsmanship, his skill in designing this letter. And he, what he's doing, he's going to intercede for a runaway slave, one named Onesimus, who apparently has robbed his master and headed for Rome. And has engaged, uh, Paul engaged, came upon him and led him to Christ. And that's changed everything. So instead of finding refuge in a crowded city, he came in contact with Paul somehow and was converted to Christ. And that's what Paul is dealing with now to send him back. He once was worthless, but now he began uh, to live up to his name. The word Onesimus happens to mean profitable. <laughs> he hardly was profitable to Philemon. He apparently robbed him and ran off. But uh, by being converted to Christ, Paul is now sending him back to Philemon and expecting him to live up to his name. And Paul would have liked to have kept him as a friend and a helper to himself. But he insists that he goes back to his wrong masters to set things straight, his master being in Colossae. Since he left as a pagan and returned as a Christian, Philemon is being asked by Paul to receive him as a brother beloved. That's quite a step. He left as a slave and a criminal, and Paul's expecting him to re Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother beloved in verse 16. And uh, you can assume, of course, that Philemon did respond to Paul's appeal, since he would not have circulated the letter if he had refused to obey. So we can infer from history that Philemon did follow through and do what Paul had requested. And this all occurred about the time 
that uh, Paul received news from Epaphras of the threat to the faith in Colossae, which gave rise to the epistle to the Colossians. So this letter, a little short note to Philemon, is often associated also with the epistle to Colossae more broadly, because they're related certainly at least in time, if not otherwise. Paul entrusted Tychicus with the responsibility to protect Onesimus from arrest by slave catchers on the return journey and delivering the letters to the Laodiceans, the, or the Ephesians and Colossians, in addition to the letter to Philemon. You need to understand that Laodicea and Colossae were like a mile apart from each other. So the Laodiceans and, and, and Colossians are close together, and, and he may have also been delivering the letter to Ephesus at the same time. So those are all uh, possibly related. And uh, the letter appears to stop short of asking Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. But the uh, social conditions of the time might have relegated this to, the, uh, to just simply the freedom to starve. In other words, he needed more than just freedom. He needed a roof over his head. You know, estimates estimate that there were at least 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, virtually half of them, maybe more of the, the, the entire uh, empire. Men and women were treated like pieces of chattel or merchandise. You could buy and sell people. The average slave sold for 500 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage for a common laborer, to give you a feeling for this. Educated and skilled slaves were sold for as much as 50,000 denarii, apparently. A master could free a slave, or a slave could buy his freedom if somehow he could raise the money. If a slave ran away, the master would register the name and the description with the officials, and that slave would be on the wanted list. The law permitted a master to execute a rebellious slave. And while some masters were cruel, many of them were reasonable and humane. A slave was an expensive and useful piece of property, and it would cost the owner a lot to lose him. Philemon would be facing now a very interesting dilemma. If he forgave Onesimus, what would the other masters of slaves and the other slaves think was going on here? If he punished him, how would this affect his testimony as a Christian? So let's jump in and see what Paul says to the letter. Notice craftsmanship here. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, interesting way to describe himself. He apparently was, indeed, but he's emphasizing something here. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our uh, dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So that's Philemon. Dearly beloved, fellow laborer. He's freeing himself as a prisoner, so he's beginning to enlist Philemon's sympathy, if you will, and he's contrasting his own suffering to the trifling sacrifice <laughs> that he's asking Philemon to make. And since Paul had never been to Colossae, Philemon was apparently converted during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. That's our presumption. The greeting sent by Timothy serves to remind Philemon that fellow believers are bound together in the bonds of brotherhood. That's in Romans uh, 1 and elsewhere, and pattern after Christ in Ephesians 5 and so on. Timothy's name is also joined with Paul's in the salutations of five of Paul's other epistles, if we don't count Hebrews as a sixth, if you will, because he's identified as a partner there too to Paul. So Timothy's in the action here. 
This same love between brothers must be extended to the slave now whom Paul calls a brother beloved in verse 16. Philemon is also Paul's fellow worker, thus sharing the common task of witnessing to the gospel by word and deed. That's going to come up in verses 5 and 7. And also by consecrating his house to his service. So we continue, second verse. And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. See, again and again, notice the repeated references to house churches. The, the church as we know it is really has derived from traditions from the third and fourth, I should say the fourth century, after the, when churches became a state institution. Up till then, they were catch as catch can, mostly in homes and underground, because it was very risky to, to undertake. Effie apparently is Philemon's wife. That's an assumption we're making. As lady of the house, she had to supervise the duties of the slaves, and her response would be a crucial factor in what's going on here, because she would be delegated the supervision of the slaves. Archippus may have been Philemon's son. He may have been given pastoral responsibility in the absence of Epaphras. These are all just conjectures of scholars. We're not sure. And, of course, the home churches is the main way a congregation would... Uh, uh, the, the, whole, the, the home church would have to recognize Onesimus as a Christian. And they would have probably little difficulty in doing it. But this would put pressure on Philemon to heed Paul's request. If Paul had not included this church in a salutation, they might have gossiped when they saw Onesimus had returned. Interesting head off here. The practice of churches meeting in private homes for worship was common up to about A.D. 200. For the first several centuries, that was the common practice. It really wasn't until the third century that churches met in separate buildings. And of course, the fourth century, they become state institutions. Home churches are frequently mentioned by Paul in Romans 16, Colossians 4, and you can watch for it all through the book of Acts. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, of course, the source of all blessings. Grace, what do we mean by that? The unmerited favor of God. And uh, peace is what? The, st the uh, state of spiritual well-being which flows from the reception of this grace. And we say grace and peace also, what's not obvious here, it's karas and shalom. It's Greek, it's Gentile and Jewish in that, in that pattern as, a, as an aside. And there's no grace unless God does bestow it. And there's no real peace unless it flows forth from God's reconciliation. So this has to and that can't come from sinful man. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Of course, God alone is the author of salvation. And uh, Paul does not congratulate Philemon on his conduct as a Christian. That's interesting. Paul's thanksgiving is like an overture in an opera. It introduces themes to be elaborated on in the body of the letter. Paul's going to introduce seven terms in this letter. Love in verses 5, 7, 9, and 16. Prayers in verse 22. Sharing in verse 17. Partnering in verse 17. And that word is koinonos, by the way. The good in 14. Goodness in verse 14. The heart in verse 12 and 20. And refreshed. These are all, he's introducing these terms. Very skillfully handled. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, toward all saints. So he probably heard about all of this from Epaphras. Paul is particularly glad that Philemon is so forward in showing love for all the saints because he's about to ask a further demonstration of it. Okay, so Paul is working his way up to the proposal here. 
that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The communication. This also is the word koinonia, or sharing. And it, 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 to demonstrate what God desires believers to perform. And we find this in a number of the other epistles. See, Paul's preparing Philemon for the request that's coming in verse 14. By acting out what God's grace has first worked in, Philemon will be drawn closer to Christ and serve to glorify him. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. The word bowels, we will use the term guts in our common vernacular. But okay. This may include the particular ministry in the time of crisis, possibly the great earthquake in 60 AD. That may be what he's alluding to here. The word brother at the end makes an effective appeal which he is about to be called on again in the way that he receives an essence. See, the, he, because the bowels of saints were refreshed by the brother. He's alluding to some previously meritorious act. And it's just a guess that it might have been an earthquake issue earlier. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. See, Paul has been given impressive proof of Philemon's love, so he declines to invoke his authority as an apostle to command what ought to be done. See, Paul's a highly respected apostle. He could have just issued a request and Philemon would be, you know, pressured to fulfill it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's, he's appealing to Philemon's own love to do this. So he doesn't, de you know, therefore I, I, might be much, I, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, which is convenient. Yet, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ. See, See love is regarded here as a principle that demands deferential respect, indeed. And he reinforces his appeal by being an older man who is penning this letter. He's probably wearing chains while he's writing this letter, is the, is the implication here. And uh, they use the term uh, presbytus, which to be aged, but the word really implies an ambassador, a senior aged spokesman or ambassador. He's nearly 60, prematurely aged, of course, by his incredible sufferings. As I beseech thee for my son, ooh, my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Interesting way of speaking of this slave that he converted. Having prepared the way, Paul now comes to his request. He's, he's, he's plowed the ground, now he's getting ready to, to nail it here. Speaks of his son, begotten in bonds. And uh, Calvin makes the remark, not by his own power, but only through the, his instrumentality, for it is not the work of any man to reshape and renew a human soul in the image of God, and is in with this act of spiritual regeneration that he is now dealing. That's Calvin's comment on this. See, he's, he's, he's referring to Onesimus because he's now been converted. He's now a new creature in Christ as if he's born of, of, of uh, Paul. The, uh, my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Play on words here. Anesima means profitable. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. But now, profitable to thee and to me. He's making a case here. Not only is this a, an enrichment for Philemon to regain Anesimus, but he's been profitable to Paul. Paul would have preferred him to stay. And the word Anesimus, of course, means profitable, from which you begin to get the wordplay here. And... Uh, he apparently had previously rendered only grudging service before his flight. He had a bad attitude, obviously. 
And Paul seems to be indulging here in what really you'd consider playful humor. The slave that had been unprofitable to him in the past has now become profitable to both of them, is what he's trying to say here. And Philemon itself, by the way, means affectionate, or one who is kind. So, so they've, they've got the, the deck's getting stacked here on Philemon. If the slave is to live up to his name, what about his master? Is sort of the impl implication with the wordplay here. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Now just treat him as if he's my own flesh and blood, is what Paul is suggesting here. And uh, this shows, his, of course, the strength of his affection for his new son of the faith, if you will, from back from verse 10. Now, can there be any question of how Philemon will treat what Paul sends to him? I mean, what's Philemon do? He's, he's got himself, you know, Paul's got him pretty well cornered. He owes it to Paul anyway, and he also owes it for a witness. Plus, it's a win-win for everybody if he, if he uh, does what Paul's uh, asking him to do. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul's saying, you, you know, it's as if, I mean, you, owe me, you owe me that. And he could pay the debt you owe me by just being with me to help me as a helper. That's what, that's, that's what the underlying thought here, if you will. And uh, so, see, Onesimus has obviously changed his entire attitude. He's obviously, a dramatic change, apparently, from what he was before. He, he was from a, a runaway thief and a robber to now where he's, he's such that Paul would welcome him as an aide. And, uh, but that didn't alter his legal position as a slave. He's still a legal slave on the run. It didn't cancel his debt to the law. He got debt to the law and a debt to his master. So he's still a guy that's uh, uh, on the wanted list. But it did give Onesimus a new standing before God and before God's people. And Philemon is asking to take this into consideration. Onesimus became saved. That didn't change his position in terms of the secular world there, to both in terms of debt and, law, and to the law. But it does change his attitude towards his, his posture with respect to God. Therefore, it changes his, his posture with respect to God's people. And if Philemon and his gang back there in Colossae are God's people, they have to, they got something new to deal with here now. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but of willingly. See, Paul's in effect implying that he could insist, but then all he's doing is complying to Paul's request. Here's an opportunity for him to do it out of his own heart, not out of a necessity. They should benefit not if it were out of necessity, but willingly, willingly. Okay? See, love cannot be compelled. He wants to have this done by love, not by obligation. So Paul refuses to intrude on a decision that must be Philemon's own decision. His reception of Onesimus must not even seem to be constrained. Paul's trying to set it up so it's going to be a Philemon's own initiative, so to speak. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. You lost him for a few months, but now you have him for eternity as a brother in Christ. That's the thought that's there. So instead of focusing on his desertion, Paul suggests the euphemism which Joseph used. Remember what Joseph said? You thought it was for evil, but God meant it to his brothers. You thought it was for evil when you sold him. No, God intended it for good. It had a higher purpose. And he's implying the same kind of construction here. God overruled evil with good. In the case of Joseph, 
being sold into slavery and becoming prime minister that saved the family. Okay. And it seems, it, it, Paul's suggesting the same thing maybe here with that this brief parting uh, for, uh, was that Philemon might now enter into a whole new relationship with Onesimus that not even death would dissolve. His relationship with Onesimus will go beyond their, their human lifespan. And uh, now we can assume that Philemon and his family had witnessed to Onesimus and had prayed for him. So this may be an answer to their prayers. Who knows? He had left for Rome as a slave and he returned as a brother. Pretty impressive. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. This is the label he's, that Paul is ascribing to Onesimus. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now it's a double win for Philemon in any case. So the, even the master, even the relationship of master and slave is now between the two of them on a totally different plane because they're both in Christ. That's the thought. So Onesimus is now both Philemon's slave and his brother. He had a brother for a slave and a slave for a brother. How, how, how are them apples, huh? Now Philemon's dilemma. If he was too easy on Onesimus, it might influence the other slaves to become Christians and influence their masters. You see, it makes it fashionable. That's dangerous. If he was too hard on the man, it would affect Philemon's testimony and ministry at Colossae. So, you know, Philemon's got himself between a rock and a hard place here. Okay. Now, Onesimus may have robbed Philemon of a substantial sum. Perhaps the cost of the long journey to Rome, whatever. And Paul now offers his own credit card for restitution. Hey, whatever he owes you, put it on my account. That's gutsy. That's gutsy. It takes more than love to solve the problem. Love must pay a price. The debt must be paid. Ooh. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, Paul's saying to Philemon, receive him as myself. Whatever you do, if I was visiting, do for him. The word partner is coined on. See, these words are related, obviously, which means to have in common. It's also translated communion or communication or fellowship, koinonia. As Paul's fiduciary, Philemon was to receive Onesimus as Paul himself. To do otherwise is to deny the reality of the bond which makes all believers fellow members of the body of Christ. All believers are members of the body of Christ. We, we, we're to honor that. To receive means to receive into one's family circle. Imagine a slave entering his master's family. That's glib for us. That's a, that's a big deal. If he had wronged thee, oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Wow. Now, isn't this exactly what Christ has done for us as his believers? We were slaves to sin. He's redeemed us. He paid the price. We are now his. This is the doctrine of imputation. My sins were put on his account. We call that justification. I'm justified because he paid the penalty. He was treated the way I should have been treated. See, I'm in Barabbas' shoes. 
Barabbas, he took Barabbas' place. Barabbas was guilty. Christ was innocent. They switched places. God's people are so identified with Christ that he receives us as he receives his own son. This means that God the Father receives us as he would his own son. We have no capacity to imagine what that means. We are accepted in the beloved, Paul says in Ephesians 1.6. We are now clothed with his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5. The reality of Galatians, the whole epistle, becomes evident here in Philemon. There is neither slave nor free in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. So we get here to verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. <laughs> you owe me your life in the first place. But that's okay. I'll pay us. You know, <laughs> I will repay it. Albeit I do not say unto thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. So just because of history here, Philemon, you owe me big time. That's okay. Whatever he owes you, I'll pay, I'll pay it. Philemon is cornered. Huh? See, Paul, it looks, you get the impression, I have written it with Mona, you almost get the visualization, he takes the pen from the scribe. It's typically having a manuensis do the letters. You take it and, and, and sign it so it's in those, it takes the pen from the amanuensis or the secretary to sign this, like I'm making an IOU. And make it legally binding. See? I have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. There it is. By Paul himself. But you do get the impression that Paul doesn't expect to have it taken up. Paul owes Philemon. Philemon owes Paul far more. And Paul does not expect him to collect the lesser debt. And uh, it appears that Paul may have been the one that led Philemon to Christ. Both Philemon and Esmus had the same spiritual father, Paul, the idea. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Philemon. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.